everyone, in case you didn't know, this is Insight. My name is Elisa and joining me on the other side of the world is Charlie. Hi guys. And Tim. Hi everyone. So firstly, we'd like to thank everyone for downloading, subscribing and just all the great feedback on the first episode. We really appreciate all the, uh, all the support and the feedback you gave us. So today we're going, going to be discussing one of the biggest, maybe even the biggest, mystery in Australia, the disappearance of the Beaumont children. So we'll start with a bit of overview on the case. Jim and Nancy Beaumont lived in Somerton Park, which is a suburb of Adelaide, South Australia. Jim and Nancy had three children, Jane, who was nine, Anna, seven, and Grant, who was four. The events occurred on Australia Day, 26th of January, 1966. It's a public holiday and in the middle of summer, so it would have been a hot day and had lots of people out and about. The kids wanted to go to the beach, so Nancy agreed to let the children take the bus by themselves for the short bus trip from their home to Glenelg Beach. Now, before we go any further, it was the norm for at, that, at that time for children to be sent out for the day by themselves. 1966 Australia was quite innocent and kids just didn't go missing. Blame was never placed on the parents for sending their children out on their own because that was just what happened. Of course, what happened later that day changed everything. So Jane, Anna and Grant left their home on the 10 past 10 bus and were expected to return on the 12 o'clock bus for lunch. The children were each given eight shillings and sixpence in coins for the bus fare and a small snack. Now remember this because this becomes important later on. Nancy went down, Nancy went down to meet the children on the 12 o'clock bus and when they weren't there, she wasn't really worried and thought maybe they had either missed the bus or had decided to walk home. When they weren't on the two o'clock bus, Nancy became slightly worried, but continued to wait at home just in case they were walking. When they hadn't returned at three o'clock, when Jim arrived home from work, of course Nancy would have been panicked at this stage. So she sent Jim back out to look for the children. When he still couldn't find them, they finally reported Jane, Anna and Grant missing to the police around 7.30 that night. Jim Beaumont continued to search throughout the night and they were declared officially missing the following morning. So here's what we know about their movements that day. We know they definitely got to the beach because the bus driver remembers seeing them on the bus. The bus trip was only about five minutes long so since they had gotten the 10 past 10 bus, they would have arrived at Glenelg Beach at around quarter past 10. The next 45 minutes are sketchy. The local postman who knew the children well does recall seeing them walking towards the beach. However, he does later change his story to that he saw them in the afternoon rather than in the morning. Maybe he got his days confused? I could see that if... If he sees them regularly, he may just have what day, what time he saw them mixed up. Because if it's just part of your routine, sometimes you don't notice, you know, you just, you assume something. 
Yeah, so oh, January is the middle of summer. He might have seen them the week before, the month before. I mean, who knows? Well, they had gone to the beach the day before, hadn't they? I mean, he could have just had... Yeah. He could have just been off by one day. You would think maybe he would remember it better because it is a holiday. And, you know, when something's a holiday, it sticks out in your mind a little more. But I don't know, with Australia Day? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How big of a holiday is that, Allie? It's pretty big. It's 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 similar to your um, 4th of July. It's like our Independence Day. Okay, so would people be celebrating it for, like, multiple days? Like, they'd have more no, than one no. day off? It would just be, like, one day off? It's just the one day. But it's pretty big. People, families are generally out. Okay. You're celebrating. The beach is big on Australia Day. Maybe a stupid question, but um, would he, would a post postman a postman be working on on Australian Day? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I thought of that too because at the now they don't. Everything's shut, but maybe fifty years ago they did. Or he lived in the neighborhood. Maybe. Sure, and, and it was certainly by at the time he they would have he would have known that of course when he was given his report to the police. So I'm assuming he was work, he worked that day. And everything I, I find doesn't question that point. So yeah, it's yeah, probably I don't know. dead end. But that's a good question. That didn't even occur to me. No. Okay, so around. 11 o'clock, an elderly woman seated in front of the Holdfast Sailing Club saw Jane, Anna and Grant playing on the lawn of the neighbouring Collie Reserve. One of Jane's school friends also reports seeing her, but she didn't stop to talk to them. The woman noticed a tall blonde man, approximately in his 30s, in blue swimming trunks, lying on his stomach watching the children. Not long after that, she saw the man playing with the children under the sprinkler. The children appeared relaxed and seemed to be enjoying themselves. The Beaumonts later described the children, especially Jane, as shy and that they were quite wary of strangers. A few days earlier, Nancy Beaumont remembers the younger children saying that Jane had a boyfriend, but she just dismissed it as the other children teasing her or maybe they were referring to a school friend. But maybe this is the man Anna and Gret were calling Jane's boyfriend? that perhaps they had met the man during a previous visit or visits and they had grown to trust him. What do you guys think? I definitely think that, and I do, I know that some people think we're just assuming this man was with the Beaumont children and not just a man who happened to be with his kids. But I do think he he was with the Beaumont children. I think um, we can get into that later. But yeah, I think that he would have to have to be able to approach three children either he would have had to groom the shy one earlier or I also read that the mother had said that if the two younger ones warmed up to someone the older daughter would go just to protect them so it's also possible that one of the younger ones was sociable towards him and then the other two just kind of went along with it until they warmed up themselves that makes sense yeah I mean I have a four-year-old and she's quite friendly with everyone and I could see my older son sort of just following along just to be just to protect her so that makes sense Mm -hmm. so at 11.45 the children went into a local cake shop and purchased some pasties and a pie 
The, the shopkeeper said this was strange because she knew the children from previous visits and they had never bought this before. And this is also important because Jane paid with a one-pound note and Mrs Beaumont later insists that she only gave the children coins and not a one-pound note, so where this money came from is unclear. At 12 o'clock, which is the time the children were supposed to be catching the bus home, an elderly couple and their granddaughter near the beach change rooms, were, they were approached by a man with three children. The man claimed he was missing some money and asked if they had seen anyone touching their clothes, which, he had, which they had not, and then he returned to the three children. He was then seen helping the children get dressed, which the couple found odd because at least two of the children were old enough to dress themselves. The, the description they later gave police matched that of the men in the blue swimming trunks that were seen with the children earlier. They were also fairly certain that two of the children were, Grain, were sorry, Jane and Grant and absolutely certain that the third was Anna. They all left together approximately 15 minutes later and that was the last confirmed sighting of the three children. And this is something that kind of struck me as odd. If he was kidnapping them, why did he draw attention to himself and the children by asking people about missing money? That just seems like an odd thing for a kidnapper to do. Yeah, you, you would want to kind of stay under the radar, I would think. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Yeah. So there's also been some unconfirmed sightings. Several months later, a woman reported to police that on the night of the disappearance, she saw a man accompanied by two girls and a boy entering a neighbouring house that she believed was empty. Later that night, she said she had seen the boy walking alone along a lane where the man chased him and roughly caught him. The next morning, the house appeared empty again and she saw neither the man or the children again. Now, I couldn't find anywhere why she hadn't report that, had reported that at the time. So maybe she saw a news report or read it in the newspaper. It really seems like kind of a planted idea in her head somehow, because it was several months later and the amount of mm. media coverage, I think she may have been conflating things in her mind and memories with the pictures of the Beaumont children, because you would think that would be something she would have said right away i mean that's so on point for being the beaumont children that you think that would have triggered immediately not several months later yeah you would think so although i guess maybe she could have probably maybe at the time thought it was nothing and then uh, um you know as this story grew and it became you know such a uh, big story uh maybe she thought you know that maybe i should come forward and, and tell them even though it was, you know, at that point, two months, you know, two months later on. But, um, yeah, I thought that was weird, too. Why, you know, why wait that long? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sticky beak. But, I mean, even without the disappearance being in the news, if I had seen some a man and some children in an empty house, I think I would, would have reported it straight away. Like, why wait a couple of months? Yeah. I yeah, it's exactly. Very strange to me. It's very strange. So about two years after the, after the disappearance in 1968, the Beaumont parents received two letters that were supposedly written by Jane and another by a man who said he had the children. The envelope showed the postmark of Dandenong in Victoria. 
The letters that were from Jane said that they were happy and that the man, in inverted commas, was keeping them. And the letter from the man said that he was now the guardian of the children, but he wanted to give the children back. It also had a meeting place. Now, of course, the Beaumonts went straight to the police and the police, believing that they were authentic, organised a sting operation, but obviously no one appeared. A little while later, the Beaumonts received another letter saying Jane, um, that it was from Jane, saying that because they had informed the police, the Beaumonts had betrayed their trust and he was, the man was now keeping the children. These letters were again examined 25 years later and they were proved to be a hoax and they were written by, the te- by a teenager. You know what was interesting about these letters is they said that the they weren't going to press charges against him for having sent them. But in, the, in 1978 and 79 in England, there was a Yorkshire Ripper was active and someone had mailed letters and an audio file claiming to be the Yorkshire Ripper. And these actually interfered with the investigation and sent them in the wrong direction. And then 25 years later, the DNA led them to the sender, who was a John Humble, and it was a hoax. But he ended up getting eight-year sentence. I mean, he served three of it. But, I mean, they sent, they tried him for interfering with the police investigation. Yeah, and I think here it would be uh, obstruction of justice. But I, I guess maybe perhaps it was, you know, because it was two years later, it wasn't like in the in the heat of the initial investigation um maybe it that maybe that and it, and the fact that it was a teenager the guy was a teenager at the time it was a stupid thing to do um yeah john humble i don't think was a teen i think he was in his 20s when he did it yeah so it certainly was a su- stupid thing to do and and they probably you know could have prosecuted him uh but you know and the big picture of thing, it, it probably didn't hinder the investigation all that much, uh, but certainly had to play havoc on the parents. Absolutely. You know. Oh, definitely, yeah. It also makes you wonder about letters like the Jack the Ripper letters and the Zodiac letters. There are people who believe they're hoaxes, but then you have the Unabom letters, which were not hoaxes. So I guess, I mean, they have to investigate until they find the sender. I mean, that's just yeah, how exactly. it is. So these letters can really interfere with an investigation if it's active and ongoing absolutely definitely definitely so um with any high profile missing persons case there were a few wild theories thrown about Uh, due to public pressure and backing from a rich australian property tycoon in november 1966 which was about six months after the children went missing jared croset who was a parapsychologist and psychic from the netherlands was flown to Australia. Crosette claims that he had helped internationally with other missing person cases. However, the accuracy of this was questionable at best. Now, here's a guy, here's a guy who, if they want to pursue obstruction of justice or false leads, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. this is the guy Definitely, they should have yeah. went after. Yeah, because he, his story changed several times. He first said they were buried in, trapped in a stormwater drain, and the police had sort of unblocked it. They went in, they looked around, and nothing was there. Then he said they were in sand dunes. And then when he, he finally decided that they were buried in a warehouse close to where they lived. And 
they they had days of investigations there as well. At a pretty hefty cost, I think. I read oh, like forty thousand dollars to excavate this area, and uh, you know, and nothing. And and, and that and that forty thousand dollars was raised by the public, so it wasn't. Yeah, these people put their hard earned money to try to find these children and really cough cough con artist cough cough like yeah it's it's ridiculous definitely i agree with you obstruction of justice really like but again the police were willing to try anything sure sure at that point they were running out of options and really someone paid him to come over someone else paid for him it's not like the police paid for him and then when it came to ripping up the warehouse foundation it seemed like it was public pressure more than police pressure that was getting them to start digging it up yeah i just i i just you know i know they raised the money they raised the money through you know the public it just seems to me that you know this guy um who you know he he got folks hopes up and um I mean, he he was it basically seemed like he was just guessing, and he, he seemed like he was quite the character too. A bit of a showman with it, yeah. And I yeah. definitely, I think it's there's an added pain to this kind of thing when we are talking about missing children, and there are parents that have been waiting to hear something, and then they get the psychic in who starts giving them all these leads that don't pan out to anything. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing, and and um, you know I got from from the readings that I've done that it was he was you know, seeking publicity for the most part. Yeah, it seemed like he traveled to high profile cases. He wasn't doing yes. low profile cases. There right, are plenty of right. missing children <laughs> he, that wouldn't. He wasn't bring helping. Him. You know, he wasn't. You know, helping people find their you know their phone or their right? <laughs> their <laughs> wallet or anything. <laughs> No. And and 30 years later, um, in 1966, um, the building was being renovated and the owners did agree for a full excavation of the area. And, I mean, obviously nothing was found. So, I mean, this, is, this wouldn't be the only time more than one child would go missing at the same time in Adelaide. 1973, Joanne Ratcliffe age 11 and Christy Gordon four disappeared from the Adelaide Oval during a football match. The two girls went off together to go to the toilet and never returned. They were seen several times in the 90 minutes after leaving the Oval, apparently distressed and in the company of an unknown man. The police sketch of the man last seen with the girls resembled that of the man last seen with the Beaumont children. The police have reported that, reported that they believe that the two cases are related. Yeah, I definitely, if you look at those sketches, they look very similar. And the oval is only about 10 miles from the beach. I Google mapped it because I have no idea of Australian geography. I mean, it's the same area, the same looking man, the same kind of MO, taking multiple kids in the same basic age range. It really, I can't imagine they're not linked. It would actually be terrifying. (laughs) They're both in situations where lots of people were around. They weren't sort of isolated areas. They were busy, populated events. 
Yeah, what's the population there? I mean, roughly, is it a what size of city? Is it a, a large city, a medium sized city? I didn't get the feeling it was a large city. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Probably compared to say a Sydney or a Melbourne, it's not. It according to Google in 2012, it had 1.2 million people. Okay, so it's a fairly so it's I mean it's the city. fifth most populous city of Australia. Okay. Thank you, Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> Bit of trivia. Mr. Google. So are we ready to discuss the, sus- the suspects? Oh, yes. This is a, these are a bunch of friendly folks. Just shows some lovely people we have here in Australia. Okay. <laughs> so the, our first lovely character is Bevan Spencer von Einem. He was born in 1945, which made him 21 at, on the year that the Beaumont children disappeared. This lovely individual is currently in prison on a life sentence for the murder of a teenage boy, but he's also suspected to be involved in up to five other deaths of young men. So how does this relate to the Beaumont children? Um, He was reported in having a conversation where Von Einem was boasting of having taken three children from the beach several years earlier. He took them home and he conducted experiments on them. He said he had performed surgery and he connected them up. So I don't need to go into details and what connected them up would mean. Police do because (laughs) I I took it and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too far down that path. But I took it like he was doing some like mad scientist type of experiments. Is that what you guys got? I thought human centipede. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I watched too many movies. But yeah, I just I was trying to get that image out of my head. Um, I'm he sorry. said that one of the, <laughs> he he said that one of the children had died during the procedure, and so he killed the other two and dumped their bodies in bushland. Um, he's also known to have frequented Glenelg Beach to perv on boys in the change rooms. Now he matches the physical description. However, he was younger than the blonde man seen with the children. Um, he. He's also suspected of murdering more teenage-age children, where the Beaumont children and the the Adelaide Oval abductions are more uh, sort of school-age, younger children. Yeah, exactly. That's the main thing that makes me think, lean away from Von Einem, even though I am really glad he's in prison. But, so, let me talk about the family which is not the um, phrase the police like to use, but it kind of got blown up in the media based on something the police said. But the family is believed to be a loosely connected group of men who are kidnapping and raping. They're active in the late 70s and early 80s. Von Einem is the only member of the group to ever be convicted of any crime, and that's that 1984 murder that you had mentioned. And it's believed that there could be up to 12 members in this group. And some of them have been identified by police, although they're not releasing their names. But, I mean, it includes like a male prostitute, a businessman, a few doctors. These aren't just, you know, drifters like you would think. Um, Some people think that the Beaumont children may be connected to Von Einem or any member of the family. But every known victim of the family were male. And they were all in adolescence, so none of them were prepubescent at all. And I think the oldest one was like 25, but the youngest wasn't was already into puberty. So it just doesn't fit at all. And 
it also seems like they were all taken one at a time. It's definitely a different skill to grab, to take three kids. You have to convince them to come with you. When you take one, you can just grab them. The most disturbing thing about him in in terms of uh, evidence, I think, is the fact that, you know, he was known to uh, frequent the changing rooms in Perv. I never heard that as a verb before, but (laughs) to Perv the changing rooms. um, So that's disturbing. But I agree with uh, Charlie. I think the the gender of the the children is obviously he... uh, they were focused on boys and the age, uh, the ages of the children, as well as the fact that uh, if he was, he was quite, I mean, he was younger than the, uh, the man that uh, everyone seems to be focused on in the blue swimming trunks, right? He was, uh, he was what, 20, 21 at the time. Yeah, and actually, let's can we talk about the man in the blue swimming trunks before we go down the assumption path that he was involved? I know there are some people who think that the focus on just that one man may have may have led the police in the wrong direction. Now, I really I really feel like he it was him and he was with the Beaumont children and some people, you know, may, cause I've read a lot on this, that maybe it was just a guy with his own three children. But I know when I'm out and I see like a dad with two kids, I can pick out which one of those kids is his or if both are his just by how they interact. And so I think this actually, he stood out to these people because it was obvious the kids weren't his. You know what I mean? Like if, if they were acting like a family unit, I don't think the people would have noticed them. Yeah, and I I, I agree with you. I think he it, 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 he there probably is something to that. I I am concerned though that so much focus was on that because if if because uh, eyewitness testimony is notorious for being you know just unreliable, and if you're focusing all your if you're taking that and kind of only focusing on this man in his mid 30s blonde hair um then you know i think sometimes you start looking for evidence to support that theory you know what i mean and i think that i, I don't but you know what i don't necessarily think the police um uh, focused in on this guy. I think they did, but I don't think they solely focused in on this guy as much as the media. Right. You know, I think, yeah, I think in the media, once it got out, then that's what everyone was focusing on. But, uh, you know, I, I would hope anyway that the police there certainly would, uh, you know, find that as a, a credible evidence, but not, not necessarily, you know, the only possible um suspect. And I think in any police investigation, they're not going to release everything to the public. They need to keep some of that stuff sort of internal for when they do get a suspect, they need something to work with so they know they're dealing with the real deal, not someone like our suspects who have claimed to have been involved and really they haven't. Exactly. And as as we go through these suspects, I know a lot of them don't fit that the the age range we're looking at 
um, because he was is what mid thirties. Yeah, I actually, I don't know that any of them fit the age range. Yeah, exactly. Like not, absolutely not, none of them do, and not even close. Right. So next we have Arthur Stanley Brown. Uh, Brown was born in 1912, which would have made him 54 when the Beaumont children went missing. Brown was arrested in suspicion of the murder of two young girls in Queensland in 1970. He was deemed unfit to be tried due to dementia and Alzheimer's and died in 2002. Now, location for him in 1966 is not known as employment records for Brown are unable to be found. Some of these records are thought to have been lost in the 1974 Brisbane flood, but Brown also had unrestricted access to government buildings, so he may have deleted his own files. I'm not sure how he had unrestricted access. Did, was yeah, he I never understood there, that or? either, or you know, or why there's an assumption that he would go in and do that. But he did. He did have a striking resemblance to. Oh, he looks exactly oh, like the sketch. Yeah. Yeah, And also this idea of deleting his files. In 1966, his files wouldn't have been computerized. And would they... No, it would have been a paper file. Yeah, and would they have actually gone back and cataloged all employment records previous? So I just... I don't know. That doesn't really hit it for me. He does look like the sketch. I mean, and it's such a distinct look. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. He looks like the sketch. Um, the age is, again, though, the age is off. He would have been in his mid-50s, 54. Apparently he did he, Apparently, he did age well. And he, when we're talking about, um, when they were talking about the girls that he had apparently murdered in Queensland, the he hadn't aged at all in like 20 years. So, I mean, it's possible yeah. that he might have looked younger. I don't I looked at pictures. Years. Yeah, I looked at the pictures of yeah. him online and he didn't he looks the same, just a little more wrinkly as he went. But I also think he was known as a child murderer. He had killed girls most likely in the same age range, so that also fits. Then no proof that he was in the area and I looked up again the distance between Adelaide and the murders he was charged with. Big difference. Huge difference. For our US listeners, it's essentially the distance between New York and Denver, Colorado. Yeah, it big, wasn't big even difference. close. And other than some like vague reference to having been there in what, nineteen seventy three or around nineteen seventy three, um I don't think there's they he's never been uh uh he's never been identified as even being in the city. Yeah, all I read was he supposedly maybe kind of told someone that he might have been at a festival in Adelaide some year. And I was like, well yeah. that that doesn't persuade me. <laughs> it, but man, maybe might have kind of doesn't work. No. No, I I agree. But I, that I, sketch I, Man, he looks yeah. like that sketch. When 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 I was reviewing this and I, I saw the sketch, I thought, okay, this guy, here's the guy. Um, but then when you read the details of it, it you know, there's no even, like I said, there's no even, there's not even indication that he was ever even in that city. Right. And he was so, there's so, you know, there was such distance between where he was from and where this took place. Right, you would you would think there would have been evidence of him traveling. If I traveled from New York City to Denver, Colorado, even in a car, 
I would have left evidence. And there's right. nothing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Even in 1960s, mm-hmm. there would have been someone who saw him or some he would have left some kind of trail behind, definitely. Okay, so next we have James Ryan O'Neill. He was born in 1947, which would have made him 19 in 1966. O'Neill is currently in jail for life for the 1975 murder of a nine-year-old boy in Tasmania. O'Neill allegedly had a conversation where he was bragging that he was responsible for the disappearance of the Beaumont children. A detective also interviewed him for three years for a documentary where he was he kind of teased the fact that he might have been involved and he said things like, on legal advice, I'm not going to say where I was or when I was there. Yeah, I think he was pulling her chain. I really, I, I don't give much credence to him, but... No. Yeah, I agree. And he even gave a location that he was at the time. He said he was in Melbourne, so they could have kind of looked into that. Right, exactly. But I, and I I read that the the South Australian police had ruled him out, and I'm assuming they have more evidence than I do to actually be able to rule someone out. And 19, 19 big difference from the 30s. Like, a big, big difference. Yeah, he was really young at the time. You know, I think the people who do a lot of these horrific acts, uh, one thing they have in common is a lot of times they're narcissistic. And I think that, you know, uh, can account for some false confessions or not maybe if not a full confession, leading the police to believe that he was involved in one of the most notorious cases in Australian history. So I don't. Uh, he went very that he he's not very convincing as a suspect to me. So then we have Derek Percy, who was found guilty by reason of insanity for the 1969 murder of Yvonne Tui. As part of his insanity plea, um, it was that he suffered from a psychological condition that prevented him from remembering the details of his actions. That's very convenient. <laughs> um, he had. <laughs> He had allegedly mentioned that he believed he might have killed the Beaumont children as he lived in the area area at the time, but he had no recollection of actually doing it. Again, in 1966, Percy would have only been 17, so it does seem he was too young to be the man. Um, It is also unknown whether Percy had a car or even a driver's licence at the time. So, I mean... I would imagine to kidnap three children, even if you had 100% of their trust, it'd be difficult, if not impossible, without a car. It's hard to abduct uh, three kids on a, taking a bus. Or on a push bike, yeah. And I really have it in my head, and obviously I don't have any um, evidence of this, but he was seen getting them ready to leave around noon, but they were there for about 15 minutes. So it's almost like they, you know, quote, missed the bus. So now he, oh, don't worry about it. I'll give you a ride. And oh, they got in his car. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. That's how I'm imagining it happened. Oh, look, I've, I've run this scenario in my head a million times where he's made them miss the bus. Don't worry. I'll give you a lift home, driving to the house. I just need to stop off at home to pick up something. Come inside. I'll give you a drink. It's a hot day. Door locked. Bam, they're done. That's, that's the scenario a I hot, You know, it was a hot day. I think I read somewhere in Fahrenheit it was like 104 degrees. Yeah, it would have been at been, least that, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, Percy was also in prison in 1969, so that would make it impossible for him to be involved in the Adelaide Oval abductions. So if, if we're assuming these cases are um, linked, there is no way he could be involved. He also confessed to the possibility of several crimes because he has this condition where he can't quite remember it. So, I mean... I just don't think he's exactly a reliable source of information. He was super, I mean, he was only 17. And I really do think the Oval murders, much more than the Von Einem, the family murders, connect with the Beaumont children. So I do think following them as though they're connected is a smart move. And he couldn't possibly have been the murderer of those children. You know, going back to uh, when you opened up, uh, Ali, when you're talking about how the time was so much different then, and, you know, you, you always hear that this was a time when, you know, um, the parents lost their innocence in terms of how they um, supervised their children. With that being true, boy, there was a lot of weird stuff going on <laughs> around. <laughs> a lot of creepy guys and, you know... Uh, uh, yeah, there was just a lot of strange stuff going on around that time. I guess right after, I guess the uh, Beaumont children was like the the first major um, occurrence of this type of crime. And I, I and I had read that um, in the four years from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy, besides the Beaumont children, about fifteen other children went missing or were murdered in Adelaide. So it, wow. it was, wasn't a good time at all. A lot no. of bad stuff went down. Yeah, you, stranger abductions are still really rare, but we are definitely more hyper-aware of them than we were then. It's possible that a lot of those made it into the newspaper, but unless you read the newspaper, we didn't have 24-hour news cycle, we didn't have social media repeating the same stories over and over again, so I'm wondering if they just weren't aware of it till a big case happened, like the Beaumont children. And I just have to say... <laughs> This is kind of my soapbox issue with children and supervision. There's a spot between sending three small children to the beach alone and calling CPS every time we see a 10-year-old walking home from school. There is a happy medium, and I feel like we've swung so far, at least in the United States, the other way, where people are having CPS and the cops called on them every time their kid's unsupervised for any length of time. So that's my soapbox issue. Let's find a reasonable place to settle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I I struggle with this whole concept because, you know, I'm not being a parent. So I, you know, um, but just, to, you know, to play devil's advocate. Boy, they, those kids seem awful young just to let turn them loose to go down to the beach by themselves. I mean, there, there's just so many things that could go wrong other than stranger abductions. Um, and, and I know it was a different time and all that, but still, you know, the, uh, there's danger with any time you have small children at a, at a beach near a large body of water, uh, not being supervised. And I, you know, I don't want to blame the parents because certainly they've been through a lot, but I, you know, it kind of gnaws at me that this, that they were just, um, allowed to go without any adult supervision. But again, I'm probably looking at this through you know, 2016. Yeah. You goggles. know what? I felt the same. I felt exactly the same way. And I spoke to my grandmother who, I mean, she was raising her, 
her two children, my mum and my uncle, were you know around the same age as um, Jane and Anna in the sixties. And um, she said that she let, let her two kids, you know, walk to the movies by themselves. They would go to the park for the day by themselves. It was just the norm. It was just the way it was. Yeah, and I guess maybe if it was to the park or to the to the to the movies or something, I can almost even see that. It's just you know, the, so so many. You know, it doesn't take long for something to go wrong in when uh, you know you're swimming in the ocean. I, that to me is just the. You know, that, that bothersome, I guess, is the word. And I grew up on a, in a coastal town, so it's not that I'm landlocked and aren't ex, don't have experience with it. Well, that's a part of thing, too. I don't swim, so maybe it's bye-bye. I have a lot of experience on the water, and I maybe that makes me actually more nervous because my kids don't have that experience that I don't, I wouldn't, I'd be less comfortable with them unsupervised at a beach than, like, at the park. I mean, just a body of water, drowning can happen quickly. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe that's why Nancy was fine with them going, because they were near the beach. Um, the kids would have known about rips and sharks and jellyfish and all the lovely things we have at the beach here in Australia. So, I mean, she wouldn't have... Maybe she. it was just like them going to the park right? for people in other areas. So it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... I don't let the kids out of my sight for one minute, so... Uh, looking back on it now, it's easy to second guess, you know, what, what should have been done. I'm sure, you know, the, the parents probably second guess themselves at probably every day of their lives. So. Yeah. And there are other, the police are still getting tips. What did they say? Like every few days they get a new tip and they're investigating. It's incredible. Yeah. Like every, like every two or three days. I bet they're going to be getting tips as people are dying and people feel more comfortable saying, Hey, my dad was kind of a creepy guy. And kind of along those lines, a book called the satin man came out in 2013 and it accused a man named Harry Phipps of the murder. He's deceased and his estranged son claimed that he actually saw the Beaumont children in their yard shortly after they disappeared. Because, you know, if I kidnapped children and it was all in the media, I'd put them in my backyard for everyone to see. To play, <laughs> yeah, to play, with, to play with your son, who then would be a witness. Right, right. I mean, the police investigated it before the book even came out and did not consider him a viable suspect. But one of the interesting things is I noticed the author of The Satin Man is Alan Whitaker, and he also wrote Australian Psycho about Derek Percy. So he's written about, he's written true crime books about two of the suspects in this case. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I get, when it's, when everyone, when someone is selling a book, I always, <laughs> you know, it always brings a red flag to me that, you know, you're going to solve a mystery of 50 years ago. Um, and I guess we'll talk about theories, but, or conclusions right but. well i read a i had heard a um an interview with a true crime author who wrote a book basically saying the person who was convicted of the crime actually did it and it was the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and he said no publisher wants that book the publisher wants right. you to pick a new suspect pick someone no one heard of come up with any type of evidence but to actually say no hauptman totally did it and here's the proof People don't, mm -hmm. that's hard to find a publisher for. So when, just because someone wrote it in a book and found a publisher doesn't mean very much. Exactly. And and Phipps, a strange son, I mean, he made a whole lot of different allegations about his father 
and they called him an alleged pedophile and that he and uh, he abused him and it just seems interesting that all this came out after Phipps died. Like he, he can't stick up for himself. Right. And there's, yeah, and you're not going to be sued or, um, and there's no, like you said, there's no way to um, confirm it. It's all, you know, speculation. Right. And it's based on the foundation that the Beaumont children were playing in his yard, which doesn't even make any sense. Although I guess he did live near, right? I mean, he lived near... Yeah, yeah, he was near. He lived in Glenelg. Yeah. So, I mean, that part... And apparently he looks... He looks I, I haven't seen a picture of him, but apparently he does look like the guy in the sketch. But... Yeah, the guy in the sketch had a really long, thin face. And, I mean, it, it looks very distinct. But as I've looked at pictures of these other suspects, I can see it. You know what I mean? So it's like a very distinct look, except for the fact that here are four or five men in the area or known murderers who have that look. That's so, the same look. Right. It can't be that yeah. distinct. I mean, my I have a brother who has a long, narrow face. and You know, but he's only 38, so it's not him. <laughs> Where was he in 1966? <laughs> he, he was not born yet. <laughs> So we can rule him out. No yeah, books we, about him. We can rule my brother out. <laughs> Write your book. Um, I mean, I guess what we were saying last episode was, I mean, you look at a picture and then you can kind of fit people into that picture. Well, you see, you I think sometimes it, you, you see, it. yeah, exactly. You see what you want to see. And, um, you know, uh, of the ones that I've, of these, you know, the leading suspects, you know, I have a, you know, when we get to talk about, you know, when we're talking about what we think really happened, um, I'll go into it, but uh, of the suspects that we went over, um, I think at uh, Brown, Arthur Brown, uh, he was pretty much spot on in, in terms of the, you know, his facial structure and everything, that he looked very, but then, like, again, there's the, that's the the photo, but, you know, there's no evidence that he was even, you know, anywhere near there. This sketch really does look like somebody drew a picture of him. I have to say, it looks so much <laughs> yeah. like him. But that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't mean it's him. Exactly. I mean, exactly. there's other reasons to believe maybe it's not. And and again, that's where you run it. I think that's where you kind of run into a problem if you, uh, if you only go with the... Um, of the sketch and of the man in the blue swim trunks, because first of all, you, the, first of all, the man in blue swim trunks would have to be the guy. Right. And then the composite would have to be accurate. Right. And if, you know, obviously if the, if the guy in the swim trunks is playing with his own three kids, then it's not even an issue. But let's say the guy in the swim trunks was our guy um, maybe the, the uh, maybe the composite was not accurate. So I mean, you know, there's so many places along the, that track where it could fall apart. The very first sketch is terrible. He looks like an alien. They had to redo it. And I read somewhere that, and I don't know, it may have been tongue in cheek, but it's like, well, it was Australia Day. Everyone was drunk by the time they started making sketches. But he really That's the norm. Yeah, he really, really looks. If I had to pick a sketch, he looks like the oval murder or kidnapping sketch more than any, and more than even the other one. But I do believe they're connected, so it's one in the same. In oh, my they're mind. definitely connected. 
Well, it certainly is odd that the you know you had two abductions there in a matter. Of, I, mean, I think what it was six or seven years, um, in a, pretty much the same place. And uh, oh, I mean, I mean, think about being a parent in that town after after the second abduction. Uh, you know, I, I I'm guessing kids didn't have a lot of freedom. <laughs> no, into the mid to late seventies. I mean, those yeah. leashes probably got pulled. I am sure of that. Though. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem here also is if everyone says you know someone must have seen something, but I mean, if he had got their trust and it did look like they were a family, people mightn't have realized they did see something. I mean, even with all the coverage. They would have just thought that's a man with his three kids. So we didn't see anything, and so it, that, does that make sense? Like he, they wouldn't yes. have realized. Yeah, you you wouldn't maybe not. Not only would you not realize it, um, you would have no reason. It would you you know you know just think of the people you pass every day. Now, a lot more you know a lot of people are a lot more observant than me, but I'm like totally non-observant. I probably you know if you me ask too. me who delivered the, you know, my pizza last night, I could not give you a description of them. So, um, yeah, I realize not everyone is like that, but you know, it's a holiday. People are out there having a good time. They're not focused on this unless something would trigger it. You know, there was an event to trigger it. And like you, um, you said, Charlie, uh, it makes no sense to me that he would be asking, uh, you know, going around asking about had you know anyone seen someone trying to take his money or. To me, that just draws attention to you, right? And it seemed the point of taking not that I want to give any kidnappers any ideas, but the idea behind kidnapping people from a crowded place is that you're blending in. You're not going to be noticed because there's so many people that nobody's going to notice this one guy and then he goes hey look at me over here somebody took my money that doesn't make sense and so that that stands out to be as well i mean he could have just not been too bright i mean it doesn't mean that it means he could have not been too bright he could have been crazy i mean right it just doesn't fit and that's it stands out to me as something that or maybe maybe his intentions changed maybe he was uh maybe he had intended to to kidnap him at some point, maybe not that day, and then just thought, okay, you know, this is my opportunity. And it was only like, what, an hour and 50 minutes. So, I mean, it was a very short period of time. Uh, the kids left home, what, at 12.10 and was supposed to be back at, oh, I'm sorry, they left at 10.10, right? Right. And 10 was supposed to be back at 12. And they were like last seen at 12.15 or so. So, I mean, yeah. within two hours. Two hours. From yeah. site to from seeing them to seeing them. Um, yeah, that's that's it. They're just disappear in two hours. And he and and he was only really around them for an hour. Right. He wasn't first seen with them till after eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Which would go back to, you know, which would reinforce the idea that he had established some sort of relationship with them prior to that day. So then it also makes you wonder I haven't seen, and maybe these are in the police files, I haven't seen reports of people saying, yeah, I saw this guy, I had seen him yesterday as well, or I saw him a different day, but again, he may have just blended in at that point. And it wasn't until he was with these kids that he stood out. And, you know, I, I guess he had never been, he hadn't been seen, you know, he wasn't seen after that event. Of course, I guess he would not be going to the beach 
if I was that guy and I didn't do it, I would be gone. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I don't know exactly. that he would stick around very long. No. If, no. Once you see, yeah, your I couldn't picture. see him going to the police and saying, you know, I was with the kids that day, but it wasn't me. I was just hanging out with no. other people's children because that's totally normal for men to do. Yeah, I don't. See I was that. just dressing a nine-year-old. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Not, yeah, I don't think. I think if that man was not connected, he. I don't believe he had entirely pure intentions with the children anyway. If he's helping a nine-year-old get dressed. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. That is creepy. So are we ready for our thoughts on our suspects? Our final rundown? Are you ready to solve it and collect our $1 million reward? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Which is probably like $100 American dollars a day. Get excited. The Australian dollar is hopeless. Well, yeah, we could just go ahead and split the money, but maybe I'll just let Allie hold it till it, you know, appreciates and value a little. <laughs> That's a good plan. And I promise you I won't spend a dollar. I'll go to Australia and spend it there. That, that'll work. Buy a meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only get like a little beach. meat pies to walk around and hold during Irish Fest. That's the only time I can get them. <laughs> So it would be nice to be able to get them more often. But okay, so what are our thoughts? Who wants to go first? So, I mean, I, I just, I don't think any of these suspects are involved. I think it's just some mystery man that we didn't know. I mean, I, I guess, I, he would have had to be involved in other crimes to do something like that and then possibly be involved in the Adelaide Oval abductions. But, I mean, the, the name suspects we have... None just seem to fit the description. Right. If I could make a composite of a few of them, I would be like, okay, it's this composite guy. But I I agree. I kind of feel like it's a cop-out to be like, oh, it's none of them. But I'm going to go with Mr. X with you, Allie. I think it's someone who just didn't get caught. And maybe he moved or died or was put in jail for another crime. I know they say that serial killers don't stop, but BTK, Dennis Rader, literally stopped killing. He didn't kill anyone for like 14 years. He spent 14 years not killing people. And they even really tried to link BTK to crimes after 1994 because that's when Kansas reinstituted the death penalty and they couldn't charge him with a death. They couldn't get him on the death penalty Unless they could link him to a murder after 1994, and they found nothing. He really did, honest to God, just stop killing people. So it is possible that Mr. X just stopped killing people. But, I mean, he could have died or gone to jail or moved somewhere else. Because, you know, he is obviously not a nice person. He was involved in, you know, horrible activities. He probably was involved in other, with other horrible people. He may have been killed by someone else. It's definitely, if you talk about is he alive today, I would put that million dollars on he's not alive. He would have been killed or, you know, a drug overdose or something, you know, not very nice. And I guess that's where I come out down on all this as well, that it's probably Mr. X. Um, and 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 the sad thing about this whole story, really, Last time we talked about Erica Ruff, Laurie Erica Ruff, and we said, I, I think I mentioned that if we had enough resources and you had enough 
you know, money and, and you could, you could dedicate enough, you know, uh, resources to it and, and enough shoe leather that you could probably fill in some of the, we might not solve the mystery of who she was, but we could kind of fill in her life a bit. I, I don't think that's the case here. I think time has, is the big problem. Um, you know, if the kids were alive today, they would be in their mid to late fifties. Um, which I, you know, it's kind of where I'm at. That's my age. So the the chances are the person responsible for this is long gone. Uh, it's chances are even though they get uh, and resources apparently haven't been a problem. They dedicate a lot of resources to it, but and they get tips, you know, every few days on it. But the the chances of them of finding what happened, I think it's going to require a lot of luck. And in, in the sad truth is that we probably will never know. I, I think the only way it gets solved is if they're uh, that through construction or some somehow the, the remains are found, skeletal remains perhaps. Uh, but otherwise, you know, tips and leads and all that. I, you know, the chances are, even if someone saw saw what happened and they would come forward now. Uh, uh, or, or if, if they if they were there to see what happened, chances are you know they're probably long dead. So um, you know it has been fifty years. That's a long time. If they find the children's bodies or the oval kidnapped children's bodies as well, if they found that and were able to do some kind of forensic testing fifty years later, and the person happened to have dna available to test that's the only way i could see this solving is if they find the children and they find forensic evidence on them but would it be possible for dna just to be i mean this long would, would there be any dna left if you're looking at skeletal remains well they tested um dna on a shawl from the jack the ripper case so i i mean if you have oh, okay. if there's blood like if the kidnapper bled on them, or I, I imagine semen would have broken down beyond. I don't know enough about it, but um, yeah, I know that they have tested things that were really a long, long past. Oh yeah, yeah, they have. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it does degrade, and the sample has to be a certain size to be able to be tested. I mean, there's there's a lot to it, so they'd have to find them and enough forensic evidence. But I don't think even if someone gave a deathbed confession today, we would necessarily believe them without proof because it's been so long. And so many people have claimed that they've done it. Exactly. Stage, so. Exactly. And it's because it is such a, you know, still such a big story um, that, you know, for whatever reason, people just give false confessions on things. It just amazes me why people do that. But. You know, if you, you know, you, you gotta, you know, what a, what a, you know, what a painful life the parents must have led after this, you know, to basically lose your whole family in, in a single afternoon. Yeah, and there, they split up. They stayed in their house for a while, not in just in case the kids came home, but eventually, I mean, the divorce rates for bereaved parents are sky high. Sure. And in the 1960s, we didn't have the same level of marital counseling and interventions and grief counseling like we do now, even. 
and the rates are still sky high now. So they don't live. Do they live in the area? I don't even know if they live in yeah, the area. Yeah, I think anymore. they do. I think I read that they still live there. They live in the same area, just not the same house. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if you watch if you watch videos of the, of them being interviewed early on, because they haven't done interviews since they, they they stay out of the limelight, it's heartbreaking. They look so upset. Yeah, it, I had it's read horrible. that right after it happened, they had to sedate the mother. She was so upset. Oh, I'm sure, and she would. And you know, the the nice thing about it is that they got they got a lot of support. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, uh, you know, it's a minimal type of thing, but uh, the community seemed to rally around them and were supportive of them. I, today, I, I don't know about in Australia, and today in the U.S., they would be, I mean, it, people would be cruel, um, you know, as uh, uh, Charlie said, it's a, you know, a different world today in terms of child protective services, and, and you know, there's always a I think a tendency. Can you imagine, like on internet forums, what would be said of the parents if it would be cruel? I think the internet would have blamed the parents somehow, even though obviously the parents were not involved. I mean, the kids were seen at the beach without the parents, and they were never seen on the bus headed to their house. So clearly, they disappeared from the beach. Yet people online would just be, "No, the parents did it. We know the parents did it." long-term missing children so longer than a month it just doesn't happen in australia unless it's a custody issue and people get very passionate when children go missing here i mean the last missing child was almost two years ago and you still get a lot of news coverage and people are very passionate and they do want to blame the parents first that's that's who they want to blame regardless whether or not it is possible they did it that's who they blame stranger abduction is is I think uh, Charlie mentioned earlier it it is still kind of rare. You have whenever there's uh, an abduction, uh, usually here in the United States, they'll do parallel investigations. They'll they'll look for a strange, you know, the, the stranger. They'll 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 follow that path. The police, but they also a lot of times will start investigating the family and relationships because a lot of the times it is, you know, it is it does. Uh, you know, a lot of the times it is there is a relationship between you know the parents and and what happened to the kids and and fair or unfair, I think the parents always are suspect in, in these sorts of things today in the United States. I think it's important that the internet and the police aren't the same thing. The police aren't investigating just random speculation. They're really investigating the parents because they're looking at the parents where the internet's like the parents did it that's all there is to it well right right that that's the uh yeah that's the first assumption but at the same time uh there's uh because stranger abductions are you know if uh, are rarer than uh you know uh, a parent uh, being responsible, or a family member, or someone close yeah, to the child. Yeah, an uncle, like our most recent exactly. case in the U.S. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it would only make sense that they do that. But I think you're right. And, and, and you know, going back again to, you know, the, the man in the blue shorts, if, you know, that is 
you know, if the, I, I'm hoping, and I, and I assume this is what happened, that the police followed up on that, and that is a part of their investigation. But it's, you know, they're also leaving open the possibility that that was a false lead, and you know, you don't want to rule out other scenarios that could have been that could have happened. But I, I, as I said, I think any resolution of this now, fifty years later. I just don't see it happening. I really don't. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. That I, I don't see them ever finding the children, and they definitely I don't see them ever solving who did it. My guess, if I was guessing, and I think Charlie and I were talking about this the other night, it, it, within the first three days, the kids were probably uh, had, were probably already dead. That'd be my guess. Right. If he was transporting them, he would have had to get them food. If he was keeping them, he'd have to keep them quiet. There's just too many things. If somebody that could would go have wrong. heard something. Someone would have saw something. It was probably by the time they were searching the beaches. By the time they had declared the missing at seven thirty, and definitely by the time the missing persons report came out the next day, I believe they were definitely dead by then. Yeah, it's sad that they haven't been able to find the remains to give the parents any form. I mean, closure is such a cliche word, and, you know, do you ever really have closure? But they have literally nothing, and they're still alive in their late 80s. One of them's 90s, the father 90 or so. Yeah. I mean, 50 years, that's a long time to not know. Yeah, I mean, just think of, uh, you know, every time the doorbell rings or every time the phone rings, you're hoping that there's some word. Uh, and it never comes. Yeah, and I think I think you would even after this long. I think you definitely would sort of hold out hope that you will have answers, but it's looking unlikely. I think. So the answer is Mister X, and that's all we've got. <laughs> I don't know that that's enough to claim a million dollars. Probably not, and it no. certainly is not a very satisfactory ending to a story, but. I, I'm just, you know, it just doesn't seem likely at this point that we're ever going to know. Oh, it's a horrible story. Horrible. Yeah, good choice, Yeah, Allie. thanks, Ali. I'm, <laughs> now I'm depressed. It can only go up from here, surely. <laughs> no, I know what Tim picked next. It doesn't go up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Sorry, everyone. But, so, I mean, if we, we've finished with our thoughts on this um just want to thank again everyone for you know all their support we we read every comment it it means so much to us you can find us on most forms of social media um we're on instagram at insight pod um charlie where can they find us on twitter insightful pod and tim facebook uh insight two words uh podcast and you can also email us, you know, we would love to hear some case ideas. And our email address is insightfulpod at gmail.com. And we really, really would appreciate if you could take time uh, and leave us a review. If you're listening to us on iTunes, that's how people find us. Yes, we love fives. Yes. So yes, yeah, rate, review, subscribe. So yeah, thanks everyone. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. 